Well, today is Easter Sunday. Praise God. Are you all excited? You should be. But you shouldn't be excited just because it's Easter Sunday, because every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. That's why we gather every Sunday. That's why we meet every Sunday. That's why we worship every Sunday. That's why Sunday has become the day that the church worships, because Sunday was the day of the Lord's resurrection. And in honor of that, the church began to worship on a regular basis on Sunday. Let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds today to this truth truth of resurrection life and resurrection power that you have brought all of your people into by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to see, to know, and to experience the fullness of that power to the fullness of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's the deal, church. I don't have one of those rah-rah, get-all-excited Easter messages for you today. I hope you didn't come for that. I, gotta, I, gotta, I have a real word from the Lord because it comes from the Scripture. And I thought about this. I thought I should probably warn you ahead of time. So I'm not going to apologize in advance for all the toes that I'm going to step on today, okay? But I do pray that God would bring healing and renewal through any wounds that might be caused by this message. I want to read, um, I want to read a scripture, two scriptures from Jeremiah. But I want to say this, we just read this in 1 Peter where Peter says, and we should read the scripture real carefully, look carefully at what Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. To what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The message of the resurrection is much greater than just a hope for you to hang on. I think a lot of times we get in the habit of coming to church and we want to get a word of encouragement. I actually had someone leave the church one time and they said, well, I'm leaving because I just don't feel encouraged. I don't want to come to church and just be challenged. I, I want to come and get encouraged sometimes. And that's fair. Fair. 
but we should be encouraged by the right things, and we should be encouraged to the right things. And sometimes I think we come and we want to hear the Word of God and we want the Word of God to just like give us this strength where we can just keep hanging on for another day or another week or another month or another year. That's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is not to give you power to hang on. The point of the gospel is that Christ has caused you to overcome, not just hang on. He didn't cause you to be a hanger-oner. He caused you to be an overcomer. And this is what Peter says. This is, this, this resurrection, what God has done, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. The message of the resurrection is power to change us. It's power to make Christ known. It's power to reveal Christ to the world. Now, having said that, I want to take you kind of a strange Easter Sunday scripture, but I'm going to read it to you anyways. It's Jeremiah chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I hope you do, turn there. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13 through 18. Now, here's the context. Do you know that Jeremiah preached for like 25 years? And do you know what, the res- what was the result of his preaching? For 25 years, Jeremiah warned his people in the city of Jerusalem to repent so that destruction wouldn't come to them, to turn back to God so that judgment wouldn't come to them. And Jeremiah was such a good preacher. Guess what happened? They didn't repent, they didn't turn to God, and destruction came to the city, not once, but twice. By today's standards, Jeremiah would have been considered an absolute failure in his ministry. But Jeremiah was absolutely faithful to the word of the Lord. We need to be careful in how we allow the world to shape our definitions of success. I'm talking not just in terms of the church, I'm talking about you personally. We need to be careful about how we allow the world to shape our life and our priorities. The way we think, the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we live life. How we make decisions. What we put at the top of our priority list and what falls to the bottom of our priority list. For Jeremiah, he saw that the people of Israel the people of God had the wrong priorities and he faithfully daily warned them and his payment was everything but death. And God told him, he said, they're going to hate you. They're going to do just about everything to you except kill you because I'm not going to let them kill you. Jeremiah six thirteen through 18. 
Jeremiah writes, because of the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. The richest, most powerful, to the poorest, most dependent. They're all given to covetousness. And look at this. And from the prophet even to the priest, and we can add the pastor there too, everyone deals falsely. Verse 14, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I just want to come to church and get some peace. Yeah, but here's the reality, there is no peace. Not, not the way you're looking for it. Because the world is in turmoil. Because the world is trapped by sin. When they are ashamed, when they have committed abomination, when, I'm sorry, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Watch TV very often? You ever watch anything like the uh, Grammys or the Music Awards or the things like that? There's not much blushing going on, is there? Matter of fact, we kind of glorify that. We think it's so cool and so awesome. That's the music we want to listen to. That's what we want to dress like. That's what we want to be like. Because it's so cool, so hip, so popular. No. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Wait, let me give you another one. Same book, same prophet. Almost exactly the same words. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 9. Uh, chapter 8, verse 9. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Have you ever noticed there are so many in our world who profess to have wisdom, but they've rejected the word of the Lord? So what wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to those who will inherit them, because... From the least even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall in the time of their punishment. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. They have healed the hurt of my people slightly. Do you know what God has given us to heal the hurt of his people? I mean, ultimately, he's given us his son. He's given us his word. He's given us his scripture. He's given us his truth. 
Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He didn't say you shall know the truth and the truth will heal you a little bit. The truth will make you feel a little bit better. No, he said the truth will set you free. We are Americans. We're free, right? Today's not the 4th of July. It's Easter Sunday. But as Americans, we love to celebrate our freedom. And I'm all for freedom. But the truth will set you free is not a statement that just gives us permission to go and live life any way we want to. In fact, well, actually, it, 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 it is that in a sense. It's like Augustine said, love God with all your heart, then go do what you want to do. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then you will be free to do what it is you want to do. The question is, what do you want to do? In your freedom, what do you want to do? In your freedom, do you want to live for yourself? Or in your freedom, do you want to glorify God? Now, the answer for most of us is, I want to do both. If I come to a place in my life where Jesus is my treasure, what I treasure most is what's going to dictate and determine the course of my life. What you treasure most is what's going to dictate and determine the course of your life. Now, all of you are here today for various reasons. But you made a decision to come to church on Easter Sunday and worship God. And I'm glad you did. But did you come today because it is Easter Sunday and you felt an obligation to come on Easter Sunday? Because after all, it's Easter Sunday. And if I'm going to go to church one day, it's going to be Easter Sunday, right? I mean, I'm not a total heathen. I'm just being honest with you. I'm being honest with you because, you know what? I need to be honest with myself. You need to be honest with yourself. More importantly, you need to be honest with God. Because God's always honest with us. Remember? He can't lie. He's perfect. Kids learn that today. So Jeremiah, not just Jeremiah, but even Ezekiel, they talk about the shepherds who don't really take care of the flock. These prophets and these priests who only heal the wounds of God's people slightly. I just need my ears tickled a little bit, God. Just a little bit. 
God is always calling his people to maturity, to grow up. Listen, we've got a brand new baby here. We got two other mothers who are past their due dates. When these babies are born, do you know what everyone has an expectation of? When those babies are born, everyone has an expectation that they're going to stay little babies, right? No. Everyone has the expectation they're going to grow up. I mean, how many of you have ever had parents? You know, you'll understand this. How many of you have ever had your children given a dog? Cutest little puppy. Cutest little lovable puppy. And if you could make that little puppy stay a puppy, you would, but you can't. Because when things are born, they're born to grow up. When you are born from your mother's womb, you were born to grow up. When you were born again of God by the Spirit, you were born again to grow up. What does it mean to grow up? What does it mean to become spiritually mature? Well, there's all kinds of things we could talk about in relation to that, but I want to just talk specifically about having a real concern for the church, having a real concern for the commission to go and to make disciples, having a real concern for the world, for the nations, and above all, having a real concern for the glory of God. That we would grow to become people that would yearn for revival, for renewal, for awakening. For anyone that knows anything about church history, there was a man named John Edwards. He lived back in the 18th century. That means back in the 1700s. John Edwards was an instrument in God's hand that brought the great awakening to America. One of the most famous sermons John Edwards ever preached. It's still read today. It's still studied today. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The historical accounts say that as Edwards preached that message is Edwards talked about the need for awakening, the need for revival, the need for people to feel the weight of their sin and the holiness of God. Something happened. God did something. Revival, renewal, awakening, whatever you want to call it, has to begin in our own heart. But it has to move out from there and into the world to give witness to God's glory in Jesus Christ. The church is a spiritual house that provides spiritual nourishment for growth and consistent equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Paul writes about that in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. It's a place where saints are born to grow up and go, therefore, and make disciples to become the fullness of him who fills all for God's glory. 
It's not the power of men, but the power of God that we desperately need. We don't need more powerful men. We need men who understand the source of true power. We need the power of God personally. We need it in the church. We need it in our homes. We need it in our nation. If you profess faith, open your heart to God's word. And let his word come in so that when you open your mouth, his word can come out. If you're an unbeliever, pray that God would give you a new heart to be able to receive and contain his word. I would love to get up every Sunday and preach and teach and see the dead raised and the blind healed and the deaf healed and and see great things happen. And I mean that in every sense of the word, figuratively, literally. But I don't, and no man has the power to do that. But God does. The gospel of God has that power. The gospel of God has the power to raise you from the dead. Do you know how many people are dead and they don't know they're dead? They're dead, but they think they're alive. The gospel has the power to raise you from the dead. Do you know how many people are blind but think they can see? The gospel has the power to open your eyes and cause you to truly see. Open your ears and cause you to truly hear. John in his gospel says that when Jesus came, he was the light of the world and the light came and it came among those who were in darkness, but it says they loved the darkness more than they loved the light. What do you love today? Who do you love today? What we need today are men, not just pastors behind pulpits, but men and women and children who know the source of true spiritual power, who know the power of the gospel, the power of God, and they're not afraid to use it. Let me read to you from the book of Job. Listen to the words of Job. Job is if not the oldest, one of the oldest books of the Bible. Job lived during the time of the patriarchs. In Job chapter 19, listen to what Job says. And hear him describe Christ thousands of years before Christ walked the face of the earth. Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. 
What we need are people whose hearts yearn within them to see their Redeemer. Not just one day when he's going to come back, but I mean right now, that in your heart you would yearn to see your Redeemer, that you would yearn to have eyes to see Christ, and that you would see Christ so clearly that the attraction of the world, the distractions of the world that so easily carry us away would be nothing to you. Because you have seen your Redeemer. Job spoke of a time that would come. We speak of a time that has already come. He stood on the earth. Jesus Christ was born. Jesus Christ lived. He was crucified. He was buried. And he rose again. He lives right now. He stood upon the earth. He sits at the right hand of majesty on high and he lives to ever make intercession on your behalf. Who do you love? What has your heart? Who has your heart? I tell couples when I take them through premarital counseling that if you personally, individually, do not love Jesus with all your heart more than anyone or anything on this earth. You will never know how to love your husband. You will never know how to love your wife. You'll never know how to love properly if you do not love God. Who do you love? Who is your treasure? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. This simple verse sums up the resurrection in all of its power. Christ is risen. Your faith is not futile. And when you belong to Jesus, you are not still in your sins. That is the truth. And the question is not just do you believe that, but will you allow this powerful truth to rule your life? Who rules your life? The scripture teaches us that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. You have been changed. Your life has changed or has it? Has your life changed? Do you profess faith in Jesus? And has your life changed? I didn't ask, are you perfect? I didn't ask, do you still struggle? I said, has your life changed? Has your desires changed? Do you feel, do you know at least in some measure the weight of your sinfulness and the power of his salvation? The power of resurrection can no more be kept inside this building or inside your heart or my heart any more than Jesus could remain in that tomb. He could not remain in that tomb. He overcame death. Death could not hold him in the grave. Does Jesus live in you and do you live in Jesus? Is resurrection life a reality for you? Is that resurrection life and that resurrection power still 
entombed? Or has it come out? Has it burst forth in new life? Has it been revealed? Or is Jesus just someone and something that you kind of keep in your pocket for those times when you might need a miracle? When you might need some good luck? When you might need some good fortune? Can't let Jesus get too far from me. You know, I might need him someday, so I kind of keep him right here in my pocket. And I pull him out when I need him. Is that who Jesus is? That's not who Jesus is. That's not what our salvation, that's not why Jesus died. I'm not here today to convince you of these truths, that he is risen, that your faith's not futile, that you're not in your sins. I am here to provoke you and to stir you and to challenge you in your faith to resist the temptation to be passive in your faith and in your witness to Christ. I want to challenge you to detest the way of comfortable, convenient compromise. The world is all about compromise. The world is all about autonomy. If it feels good, do it, and don't judge anybody that does. And if you think God is still judging sin today, then you're just an idiot. I'm challenging you to set your priorities in line with the commission of the gospel and the kingdom of God. To purposefully and actively join the work of making disciples, building the church, and building the kingdom to magnify his name. Jesus said, I will build my church. So listen, you're not doing the heavy lifting. But don't think that Jesus building the church is happening apart from you because you are the church. The church isn't this building. The church is you. This building's not the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing magical about the steel beams and the paneling that we painted gray to make it look a little more updated than the 70s version of what it was. There's nothing magical about this building. There's nothing magical about this space unless it's just simply magical because this is where the magical people of God meet. And if you don't think it's magical that you've been born again, you need to think again. Because you didn't do that. God did that. You didn't get born again any more than you got yourself born the first time. You are a bona fide miracle if you are a child of God right now. There is no greater miracle that you will ever experience than the miracle of the new birth. But we take that miracle for granted every day. We live compromised lives. We live life in fear. We live life being dictated by the world, driven by the world. The world is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. If you're a child of God, live like a child of God. If he's your Lord, live as if he is your Lord. Let him be. Make him Lord of your life. Because he is whether you believe he is or not. He is the Lord of all. I'm challenging you to feel the urgency of the time we live in. 
to stop allowing the influence of the world to determine how we think or how we talk or how we walk, how we spend our time and our talent and our treasure. I challenge you to love Christ more than you love the world and the things of it. Now listen, when we leave today, I'm going to go to my house. I got up at 5.30 this morning. Uh, We're going to have a feast. Any of you that have ever been to my house, you know I love food. I love to eat. There's, There's hardly ever a time when you're going to come to my house and not find something to eat. It might be leftover, but it's going to be there. We're going to feast. We're going to let the kids hunt Easter eggs. They're going to jump and play, and, and we're going to even let adults hunt things. Say, well, you're just a pagan pastor, Jeff. I actually had someone call me, contact me this week that used to be, a, a, for a very short time, came to this church. <clears throat> and she was upset because she said, I feel like everybody's making Easter about bunnies and eggs and candy. And it's... it's idolatry and it's paganism and I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I said, well, listen, if bunnies and eggs and candy are idolatry on Easter Sunday, then they're going to be idolatry the other 364 days of the week. But you don't have a problem with eggs and bunnies and candies any other day of the week, but just on Easter Sunday. No, we don't worship eggs and bunnies and candy. We worship Jesus. But when we feast and when we play and when we experience the joy of the Lord, it's a testimony. Jesus came and did what he did so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came in spite of my sermon today, which is pretty heavy. Jesus came that we would have joy, fullness of joy, and that our joy would remain. And when we hunt eggs or candy or whatever else the adults are going to hunt today, it's, I liken it to, 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 to hunting for treasure. It should remind us Jesus is the greatest treasure and we should be seeking him. We should be seeking the things that he's hidden in his word. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. That everything we do, it should remind us of who our true treasure is. That treasure is Jesus. So I'm not against joy and fun and games. I'm all for that. You know I am. But to everything there is a season. I also understand that the Bible is very clear that we're living in a spiritual warfare. There is a war raging around us. And if we understood that we are truly soldiers in the Lord's army, Paul writes to Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier. What's the implication there? We're soldiers. Or he writes in the Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. What's the implication there? We're in a war. But we don't live like we're in a war. Even in a war, there's time for rest and relaxation, fun and games, but there's also a time to get back on the front lines and to do what's necessary because we've been called to this. You've been called to this as a child of God. Jesus is the captain of the host. He's the captain of the army. He has already won the victory. 
but there's still a battle going on. Your victory's not in question, but don't act like, don't live as though there's not a real battle, a war that's being waged, because there is. So I want you to feel the urgency of the time that we're living in. Sunday morning is called the Lord's Day in the New Testament because it was the day that Christ came out of the tomb. That's why the church began to meet on Sunday mornings. We have adherents of Islam blowing themselves up in the name of their God while a vast number of professed Christians will not even wake themselves up to go to church on Sunday. Much less wake themselves up to be the church every day of the week. I didn't hear an amen on that one. We've allowed the world to creep in and we continue to make excuses as to why it's okay. All the while, people in our nation are going to hell. Do you know the road to hell is not a cliff we suddenly drop off of? The road to hell is a slow descent. It's paved with the best intentions. But it's a descent that leads into the abyss. And when we realize where we've come to, it's much more difficult to make the journey back. That's where we are as a nation. God in an instant can change your life. God quicker than we realize can change our nation But what I'm saying, church, is there are things that we do that have consequences. And the reversal of those consequences are not always quick. Sometimes they're slow and they're painful. Jeremiah saw the consequences of the nation. And for 25 years, he warned them of the consequences. And he said, turn from your path. Return to the Lord, and they would not do it. But when it was all said and done, God brought them back. It was a painful process. It cost them 70 years in captivity. And after that captivity, they never got their nation back. They never got the kingdom back. They never got their temple back. Well, they got it back, but only to have it destroyed again 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And now 2,000 years on the other side of that destruction, that temple still hasn't been rebuilt. But here's the good news. The temple was rebuilt. It was raised up in three days. We're celebrating that temple today. Jesus' body is not in a tomb somewhere in the Middle East. Jesus has been raised. He sits bodily at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus was resurrected because he was crucified. He was crucified because he stood in truth against wickedness. Christ rose so that you could be raised. He stood in truth so that you could stand in truth. And he has given us the power to stand.
We look for all kinds of methods and formulas and ways to attract people to church. It's kind of what we do on Easter Sunday. We don't hear. But a lot of places, you know, you have this big production, and we think, well, if we can get people to come, maybe, maybe they'll decide to stay. We live in this age of ADD or ADHD, where everybody's diagnosed now with attention deficit disorder. But ADD is not the problem. So here's what the church does. Let's try to figure out how to capture their attention more effectively. And maybe if we can capture their attention more effectively, they'll stay. Now, that's not the problem. ADD is not our problem. Our problem is we've got a chronic heart condition. We were born with heart disease. And the only remedy is to get a new heart. And the only way to get a new heart is not to make God more attractive to people. The only way to get a new heart is through the power of the gospel. What we need is what we've always needed. We need Jesus. We need the gospel. We need new hearts. We need renewed minds. And only God has the power to do that. And it is through the preaching and the teaching and the living. Don't forget the living of the gospel. The gospel is not just something you're supposed to hear on Sunday mornings. The gospel is what you are to live every day of your eternal life in Christ. Sinners and saints need to feel the weight of their sin in order to know the power of our salvation that's been given to us by grace through faith. It is by faith. I can't give you enough evidence to believe. And if your faith is based on the evidence, it's only a matter of time when the evidence is going to convince you otherwise. You can only grasp the truth by faith. Faith is a gift that God gives us in His grace. And if you really want to know the truth, then know Christ. Stop playing with your doubts and using them as an excuse to dismiss God. You realize it's not God, it's not even the devil that's tempting us. The Bible says we're tempted, we're drawn away by our own lust and our own desires. It's our flesh. And what is the remedy for our flesh? It's the cross. The cross is the remedy. The cross is the remedy for all. The cross calls us to radical faith. Jesus said, if you desire to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. That's pretty radical. You think about what the cross is. We wear little crosses around our neck as a symbol, but we don't stop and think about what that symbol represents. It represents our death. It's not a good luck charm. It doesn't give you magic power over evil. The cross doesn't do anything for you if it does not first kill you, crucify you. That's the only thing the cross is meant to do, to crucify your life. That's radical faith.
So all of us have to make a decision how we're going to live out our life on this earth. Are we content to chase success in our comfortable lives? Or are we willing to take up our cross and follow Christ? Are we content to remain in our comfortable lives with a comfortable faith that rarely makes anyone uncomfortable? How often does your faith in Christ make people uncomfortable? I'm not saying you should go out of your way to make people uncomfortable. You should not. But if the witness of Christ in you does not convict the sinners around you, how will they ever know their need for a Savior? If we don't know we are lost, we don't know we need to be saved. We need to be found. We need to be willing to step out of the boat and enter into the dangerous realm of a radical faith. I know radical is kind of a bad word today because we hear so much about radical Islam. Listen, the difference between radical faith in Christ and radical faith in anything else is that your faith in Christ leads to life. Everything else leads to death. If we look back in history, we're going to see that the world has not changed because people settled for comfortable lives and comfortable faith. God has changed the world and he has changed the church and he grows us up by using people of radical faith put in uncomfortable situations, sometimes with deadly circumstances. We can either walk in a radical faith willingly and obediently Or we can find ourselves spiritually unprepared in a situation one day when we have no choice but to stand or fall. And as believers, we're called to radical faith. That means we're called to stand. Jesus told the Pharisees, you can look at the weather and know whether it's going to be a sunny day or a stormy day. But you can't look at the times around you and discern what's happening. We need to be wise people who are able to discern the times, the things we allow to occupy our time, our talents, and our treasure today may be the source of great regret tomorrow. Did you hear me, church? The things you allow to occupy your time, your talent, and your treasure today may be a source of great regret tomorrow. Christ is risen. Let his church rise up and give him glory. Amen. We're going to come to the table now as we get ready to close our service. This is a table prepared for God's people. Not because you're perfect, because you're not. Not because you're sinless, because you're not. Not because you get most things right, because you don't, and neither do I. But it is a table for those who will trust Him. And trust that, just like we learned today in the children's lesson, He is, and He alone is, perfect. So come, trust Him, surrender all to Him,
If you have never before, I invite you, come to Jesus.